0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And our previous podcast was on Christmas, de- Christmas Eve, and today it is New Year's Eve. So we are uh, we are all about the eves here at the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. <laughs> we check in with you today, uh, like I said, New Year's Eve, Saturday. Cavaliers taking on the Chicago Bulls tonight at 7 p.m. I think that's 6 uh, six Central, right? Would that be 7 Eastern, 6 Central? Yep. Okay, so Chris, you are there. Cavaliers, you're 22 and 14, um, have struggled as of late. Um, not been playing their best basketball as of late. They have lost three in a row. They lost uh, one eighteen to one oh seven to the Raptors, one twenty five to one seventeen against the Nets, and then one thirty five to one twenty six against the Indiana Pacers. So the Cavaliers looking to end this three game slide after a five game win streak. And Chris, it's kind of been the t- kind of been the tail this season. It's been um, ups and downs, big. Big ups, big downs. I mean, yeah. you know it's been big win streaks, big losing streaks. What is the you know the issue, the reason for the kind of the way that they're they're doing this topsy-turvy up and down thing?
1: I mean, I think it's a couple of things, Hayden, to be honest with you. but every time that they've gone into a funk or a mini funk, defense is going to be at the center of that, yeah, because they're a defensive first team. and that's how they um consistently win games, and that's how they consistently. Um, become one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So if they're not playing well defensively, if they're starting to slip at that end of the floor, it's going to lead to losses. And if you look at Toronto, Brooklyn, Indiana, all three teams um, scored big against the Cavs. All three teams shot well from the field against the Cavs. All three teams shot well from three-point range against the Cavs. In those three games, the three-game losing streak... The Cavs are giving up an average of 126 points on 54% from the field and 57% from three-point range. And if you think about the five-game losing skid um, earlier this season, one that was capped by a loss against Milwaukee where um, on the road the Cavs spent extra time in the locker room talking about accountability, having difficult conversations, discussing the potential of making some lineup changes, that was also prompted by them losing themselves on the defensive end of the floor. So when they're not good defensively, they're going to continue to struggle to win these games because they're just not talented enough offensively to make up for that on a consistent basis. They're going to be nights where Donovan Mitchell's great and Darius Garland's great on the offensive end and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley have it going as well. But if this team is going to consistently win games and continue to progress as the season goes on, defense is going to have to continue to be the backbone. Um, And if they slip at that end of the floor, then it's going to lead to losses, just like it has throughout the course of this season.
0: When we talk about them slipping on defense, you know, the Cavaliers are built as a defensive team. You said that. I mean, when you look at their win streak, I mean 106, 99, 99, 90. I mean, yep. those are the those yep. are the point totals for the opposing team. So um, is it when they slip, it can't be because of the way they're designed. Can it can be an is it an effort thing? Is it something to where um, you know they're just la- they have they have lapses, they're not doing certain things well. What is the reason that they would slip defensively?
1: I think some of its effort. Um, I think some of it is personnel, and I think the other part of it is sometimes the other team is good. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I I know fans don't want to hear that, but I was talking to J.B. Bickerstaff about this yesterday, and I was talking to Jared Allen about it yesterday as well um, after they practiced at the University of Illinois-Chicago, and I said, like, at what point do you look at the number of three-pointers that you guys have given up recently And the number of three-pointers that the opponent has made against you recently and say to yourself, we need to change some things schematically on the defensive end of the floor. And both JB and Jarrett pointed to numbers that they use, numbers that they track that we don't really have access to, but it's like shot percentage above expected or something along those lines. And what it told JB and what it told Jarrett, and it's something that the Cavs pointed out in their film session yesterday – Um, that they're unlucky with the amount of open threes that teams are hitting against them. It's an astronomical rate when it came to Toronto and Brooklyn and Indiana. So I don't think they're at a point right now, Hayden, where they're saying to themselves, all right, it's time to panic because we're giving up all these threes. It's time to change some of the things that we're doing schematically on the defensive end of the floor. I think they're going to try and stick with their principles. Uh, maybe play a little bit harder, maybe play a little bit smarter, but everything with this defense is designed to protect the paint. It's designed to funnel teams into Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, and it starts there, and it's always going to start there because they have two elite rim-protecting seven-footers. And I just don't sense that they're panicking about some of the things that have happened over the last week or so um, especially on the defensive end of the floor. They think a lot of it is bad luck. There's another element in play here. When you're talking about inconsistent teams in general, a lot of that is tied to youth. And J.B. Yeah. Bickerstaff talked about this the other day, Hayden. and I don't think he meant it to come across this kind of way, but it makes sense. Like He said sometimes he feels like a parent where you scold your children Right, but they don't believe the things that you're saying, so they have to um, feel it for themselves. They have to see it for themselves, and like in some ways, they have to fail to understand. Oh crap! I can't do that again. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I think sometimes that's what's going on here when it comes to the Cavs. They're a young, growing team that is going through things for the first time, and it's one thing for them to hear it. And it's another thing for them to feel it, experience it on their own. And I think some of these failures that they've had at times throughout the course of the season are going to benefit them. Um, just like some of the failures that they had on the road against Milwaukee and on the road in Los Angeles and, and some of these other places where they completely collapsed in the fourth quarter, that allowed them to better figure it out. And suddenly by by net rating, Somehow the Cavs are the best fourth quarter team in the NBA this year. So sometimes it takes failure in order to to figure out that, you know, it's not going to work the way you think it is in your own head.
0: I mean, I'm certainly not a numbers guy, and you know, I I you know I, I succumb to the numbers every time I let them win. But I mean, when you look at the when you watch the game against the Brooklyn uh, when you watch the game against the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, the numbers, uh, you know, are, are astronomical. You know, Brooklyn shot 57% from the, from the field, uh, 60% from three-point range. In that game specifically, though, being there, it looked like the Cavaliers were doing a good job of, of you know, defending the three-point shot, and it just didn't matter. You know, right. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, it did not matter. So I can see where, you know, I can see where, where there is a little bit of luck involved. You know, I didn't see much of the Indiana game. Um, Indiana shot 61% from three as well. So, I mean... It's just, you know, at some point, even the good three-point shooting teams aren't shooting 61%. So I can see where it it is a little bit of luck, a little little bit of bad luck for the Cavaliers, and maybe not something to freak out about um, if you're them right now.
1: Right. Like, when you're talking about game by game, I think that's the proper way to look at it and assess it. In saying all of that, the general thing that bothers J.B. Bickerstaff at times with this team is that they lose their identity on the defensive end of the floor and they start thinking that their offense can bail them out or they start thinking that all of a sudden we want to push the pace. We want to play faster. We want to get easier buckets on the offensive end. And it's like they can't have that mentality because that's not who they are. That's not who they're going to be. That's not what's going to make them a great team. so so that's where sometimes his frustration comes into play, generally speaking. But on a game-to-game situation, like, I don't sense any kind of panic just based on um, what has happened over the last week.
0: Yeah, and I mean, they're not even halfway through the season yet. You know, they're still f- the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I don't think there's any sense of, of panic that's needing to set in at this point. Uh, still four games behind the Boston Celtics in the Eastern right. Conference. Um, you know, like we everything-
1: can talk- Everything about them, if, if we were to do a blind resume, and I know we've talked about this a number of different times, Hayden, on this podcast, but if we were to do a blind resume, everything about them would point to them being a contender. Yeah. yeah. It's the bottom line. And, and it doesn't mean that they don't have flaws because they do have flaws. They don't have a consistent third scoring option on the offensive end. And that shows up at times, right? They do go through these lapses of concentration and effort and bad luck even on the defensive end of the floor. Um, they are weak at the small forward spot. I think everybody can understand that. A lot of J.B. Bickerstaff's decisions when it comes to his roster are either-or choices, and, and right. that's tough, right? Like, if he's going to go with Karis LeVert for his offense, then he might lose a little bit defensively. But if he's going to go with Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens for their defense— then he's going to lose a little bit offensively. Like, there isn't that two-way wing, with the exception of Dean Wade, who's not healthy right now. There isn't that two-way wing on this roster where J.B. Bickerstaff feels like, that guy can give me enough offensively and enough defensively where it's his job. He should be the starting small forward. So we understand that that's a weak point, and the Cavs are looking at the possibility of trying to fix it before the trade deadline. So even though they're flawed, just like Milwaukee is flawed and Boston is flawed and Phoenix is flawed, everything about them points to them being a contending team. They're borderline top 10 in offense and defense, and there are very few teams that can say that. They're also number three in the NBA in terms of net rating, and the only teams above them— are Boston everybody considers a legitimate title contender and surprising New Orleans who has been turning heads all season long.
0: Yeah, I mean when you look at the plus you look at the differential the Cavaliers are just behind New Orleans and Boston. I mean they'll right. they have um their 5.2 point differential between their you know points for and points against. So, right. I mean you're right. They're they're probably in that regard the third best team in the NBA. So, it, they're you're right. All, everything is pointing to them being an elite team. I, and, you know, there are some circumstances that have, you know, prevented them from winning the last couple of games, but bad luck happens. And uh, yes, I don't right. think it's anything to to uh, to really, you know, focus in on or hone in on. Um, right, I also I'm,
1: think there's another layer to this too, Hayden. Sure. They are the kind of team that you believe is going to get better as the season goes up. Yes. Because they're going to get more experience. They're going to get more game reps. Darius and Donovan are going to play together more they're going to get Ricky Rubio back, Dean Wade is going to come back eventually at some point in January, maybe February. Um, and and it's just young teams tend to evolve. Like we think of development sometimes as linear, but it's not always that way. And just because one young team figures it out quicker than another, that doesn't mean another young team is going to figure it out at the same rate. So based on their age, based on their relative inexperience, and based on the guys that are coming back and maybe some moves that they're going to make at the deadline, there is a belief, and I think it's a logical belief, that the Cavs are going to be, if they stay healthy and if they don't get wrecked by injuries the way that they did at the end of last year, there is a logical belief that the Cavs are going to be better in March and April than they are right now in December January and February, and that's something that they're hoping for.
0: Right. You're exactly right. They have, you know, like I said, it's not even the halfway point of the season. They've, we, they've all said, and we've all said that they're probably ahead of where we thought they would be at this point. So yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta give them a little bit of time to grow here. Um, Speaking of unlucky, Darius Garland continues to kind of uh, get beat up this season. He has just been, it's been one thing after another, and uh, he is now dealing with a thumb sprain. So, Chris, what is your sense of him playing tonight? What is your sense of him playing in general um, for the Cavaliers?
1: I'd be very surprised if he played tonight. The feeling that I got leaving the locker room the other night in Indy was that Darius was looking at a multi-game absence, and and there was worry from the Cavs. Um, All different levels of the organization. There was concern about him missing some time. Um, I think it was good news. It could have been worse news. Um, I think it was good news that they got um, the results of the x-rays and it was just a sprain. Um, but it's his right hand. Darius said it was swollen and throbbing during the game, during the fourth quarter against Indiana. He told me that he didn't even want to shoot the free throws because he knew he wasn't going to be able to make them. He couldn't dribble. He couldn't pass. He couldn't shoot. It just He wasn't going to be effective with it. And if that's how it was in the fourth quarter against Indiana, like two days isn't going to fix that. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, the Cavs practiced yesterday at, in Chicago here. Um, he did not participate. I saw him briefly. He was being protected by um, a member of the training staff. He had his thumb wrapped in ice. And then when everybody else left um, the gym to board the bus, like Darius went back um, into the gym and I think he wanted to test like, what can I do? What can't I do with nobody watching here? So he had a black protective brace around his right thumb and I peeked into the windows and I saw him doing a little bit of light shooting, but he kept switching between his left hand and his right hand and he didn't go very long. So it was clear that it was bothering him. And I just think that the the kind of player that he is um, the kind of punishment that he has taken throughout the course of this year, I'm I'm quite certain that the Cavs are going to err on the side of caution. If if yeah, we they, go by everything that they have shown us throughout the course of these years, they're going to err on the side of caution with somebody this important.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it. Um, you know what he's been going through all year, and he 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 was upset. Oh. He was very upset after the Indianapolis game. Um, yeah, said he was just getting hacked all season. Nothing has changed. Physicality isn't a factor because the whistle's not being blown at the right time. It's a foul. It's obvious some of the stuff they should be reviewing. So, um, I mean, does that is does that change? I mean, you know, Dar- Darius Garland is an all-star. He's a guy. He's a perennial, you know, uh, great player in the NBA. I mean, what what changes that? What will what could change that? What does change that for Darius?
1: Yeah, I don't know that anything does. I mean, I think. If, if we look at um, some of the more successful defensive teams against the Cavs throughout the course of this year, who are they, right? And and what kind of makeup do they have? You know, Milwaukee's been able to contain the Cavs. Um, uh, Brooklyn has been able to contain the Cavs. And, and Toronto has bothered the Cavs. And, like, everything that they have in common is a level of physicality, a level of toughness, J.B. Bickerstaff calls it grabbing and holding, but like that style seems to be problematic for the Cavs, and and I think there are opponents out there that are saying, "Hey, Darius is relatively undersized for a point guard. Donovan Mitchell is relatively undersized. Like he's strong, he's put together, but he's still relatively undersized for the position. Let's beat these guys up. Let's be physical." Let's grab, let's hold, let's not allow them to have freedom of movement. Let's not allow them to break us down off the dribble. I mean, if you remember a couple of years ago, like teams just started beating up Steph Curry, and they started grabbing him, and they started um, taking away some of what he wanted to do and what Golden State wanted to do offensively. So I think the Cavs are just going to have to find a way to make an adjustment. And I think part of the adjustment is going to have to be, at times— Just spread everybody out, give Darius as much space as possible, let him go one-on-one and see if he can beat those defenders so they can't get their hands on him, so that they can't be as physical with him. Like, Donovan Mitchell talked about it the other night against Toronto. Um, He said when he gave up the ball, like, that's when Toronto was being more physical with him. That's when Toronto was grabbing him. That's when Toronto was face-guarding him. Like maybe. At some times, you just have to say, forget the pick and roll, forget bringing an extra big to Darius or to Donovan, forget what it is that we do great that, 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 and just like let them go. Right. See if Darius and Donovan can just like go to work against that level of physicality.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I I don't foresee anything really changing in that regard. You know, you just hope that it doesn't affect both Darius and Donovan um, in terms of their, you know, health. I mean, that's obviously the biggest thing here is that both of those guys, you know, they they are the key cogs of the Cavaliers offense. Um, So if if one of those guys goes down, things will be uh, difficult for Cleveland. But I mean, they're
1: difficult guys to defend. I think opponents recognize that. Right. And I think that's a great compliment to both of those guys. That because they're so difficult to defend, because they're so shifty and explosive and crafty, they have to be more physical with those guys. They have to try and push the envelope a little bit the way that Toronto did. And if referees call it, they call it. And if they don't, then it's going to be an advantage to the defense. And and their style um, is going to work a little bit better, just like it has against Toronto. I don't think it's a coincidence, Hayden that the two worst games that Donovan Mitchell has played since coming to the Cavs are against the Raptors. They're a pain in the butt to play against. They're really, really physical. And stylistically, they're not like many other teams around the NBA. It's like being guarded by an octopus, is the way that I put it in a tweet. Like, they're so long. They're so athletic. They're so physical. They just bother you in a different kind of way. And I think mentally that takes a little bit of a toll on you.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, to be poked and prodded and hit and grabbed and all that. I mean, yeah, yeah of course, there's definitely a toll there. Um, and maybe that's maybe the, the Raptors are kind of trying to paint the blueprint for uh, what other teams are trying to do against Donovan Mitchell. So that's yep. not going to bode well if if that continues. And maybe, you know, maybe if it does continue, maybe that's a situation in which, you know, referee refs will start calling it because, you know, as Donovan said, there, there, as Darius said, there's a lot, lot going on, and uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's about player safety at some point too. So maybe that will change things. Um, Cavaliers, like I said, in Chicago tonight. will take on the Chicago Bulls on Monday as well. So they have a day off in between, uh, and then they are getting ready for a little bit of a road trip. Their longest yet, or their longest uh, remaining, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Denver, Phoenix, Utah, Portland, Minnesota. So that little stretch right there. I mean. That's nothing to scoff at. I mean, it's a, it's a legit road trip, five games, um, all over the map. I think that'll be a huge test for this team and, and what it's made of and, and what it's about. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, how they play on that road trip to me should matter more than what their win-loss record is during that road trip. Right. Because, I mean, I, I think a lot of times, especially at this point in the season, Hayden, I think wins and losses are very circumstantial. I think they're tied into the schedule. I think they're tied into who a team has available. But, like, J.B. Bickerstaff is trying to preach it's about how these guys play. Yeah. And if they defend the way that they're capable of and still happen to lose games because they're not making shots or something like that then that's a lot easier to live with. But but if you're going to go on the West Coast and you're going to lose yourself completely um, the way that the Cavs did earlier this year, then I think that's going to be problematic. In saying yeah. that, they get a break because they're about to play Phoenix twice. Both times they play the Suns this year. Um, Devin Booker is not going to be available, so that makes it a little bit easier for the Cavs. And on top of that, the Suns are just in freefall mode at this point in time. They're suddenly the 7th seed in the Western Conference when for a majority of the year they were sitting at the top of the West.
0: Right. And that, you know, that's probably tied into Devin Booker. I mean, he's their engine that makes them go. So, Of course. Uh,
1: so that's why Yeah. That's why I say wins and losses are oftentimes circumstantial at this time of year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so you're right. They are lucky in that regard. Maybe you know, maybe the battle, maybe the luck balances out. They're not getting lucky on the three point <laughs> the three point defense, but they are getting lucky on not having to face a guy like Devin Booker. Maybe yeah. that's the uh, maybe that's the uh, the the trade off. Um, Ricky Rubio, any updates? I mean, he seems to be. You know, it seems like it's going to be closer or sooner than later for uh, Ricky Rubio to rejoin the Cavaliers.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it that he is itching to play um, and he's ready to go. And by ready, I mean like mentally ready to go. Um, I don't have a firm date that I've heard one way or another. JP staff said that it was going to be at some point early in January. Um, like I said, the Caps practiced yesterday in Chicago, but they didn't do a lot. So it's not like they did a whole bunch of five on five and then Ricky could clear that hurdle um i mean if if we're if we're looking at what the calves have been saying they've been pointing to the 12 month mark in terms of his recovery because historically a torn ACL can be anywhere from 10 to 12 months and i think they always looked at the 12 month mark he had surgery on his ACL in mid january so that would put us um with that West Coast trip. And on that trip, he plays Utah, one of his former teams. He plays Phoenix, one of his former teams. The road trip ends in Minnesota, where he got his career started. So um, there's a chance that he plays at home against the Bulls when the Cavs come back or against Phoenix at home before that road trip starts. I wouldn't rule that out. But my gut tells me some point on that road trip is is when makes the most sense based on, um, based on the schedule and based on the practice time available for the Cavs to allow Ricky to get himself closer to basketball playing shape and basketball playing condition. But even with practices, you can't duplicate what he's going to see in a game environment. So when he comes back, I would assume that the Cavs, are going to even slow play that a little bit. And they're not just going to throw him in the lineup and say, hey, Ricky, give us 30 minutes a night. <laughs> That's not
0: happening. Yeah. What, what do you envision for Ricky Rubio? I mean, what do you envi- how do you envision he fits in? How do you envision he changes things, helps? What do you envision for him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question because there were a lot of factors tied into why he was so impactful for the Cavs last year. Like, part of it, obviously, was they needed a player like him. And and stylistically, he helped the Cavs at both ends of the floor. But he was also coming off a national team appearance in the World Cup uh, with Spain, and that allowed him um, to use that as like a launch pad into a season. Yeah. It was a new environment with the Cavs, and he was comfortable with J.B. Bickerstaff, and he was comfortable playing alongside Kevin Love. And they needed the leadership and the energy that he brought to the table. Um, he was also healthy, and he wasn't coming off a 12-month recovery. So, I, I don't think he's going to be as productive as he was for the Cavs at the beginning of last season when he was great, and I had him in the running for my sixth man of the year before he went down with that injury. Um, but but I think production and impact are two different things. And, and I think Ricky is the kind of player, Hayden, that can make an impact even if he doesn't have big time production because he can organize an offense because he can get guys into the right sets because he makes things easier for his teammates. Look at the splits with Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love without Ricky Rubio And, and the same thing for Jetty Osman. So I think Ricky is just going to stabilize that second unit in a different kind of way. And even if he's not playing as many minutes Um, as he did last year, and even if he's not playing like a starting caliber point guard like he did last year, he can still make a positive difference for this team, both on the court and off the court, but I think the biggest impact that he's going to have is just making everything easier on his teammates, and he's done that for his entire career.
0: Yeah, I think that obviously last year they kind of needed him to be that. You know, They needed him to be uh, the starting caliber player. I think this year it's it's a much different scenario. I mean, they can, you know, potentially just let him be um, you, a guy off the bench that can help them in, in spurts. But you know, I think JB has done a good job of kind of uh, balancing Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and when they play and how much they play. So mm-hmm. you don't really need that backup point guard role as much. Yeah. Um, but I still think that you're right that he brings a lot to the table and he can certainly help this Cavs team.
1: I think that's a good point that you brought up because I think that's a whole nother layer to this conversation, is that if if Ricky allows JB um to play one extra guy, lengthen his rotation a little bit, and shorten the minutes of, of both Darius and Donovan, like that's an effect that maybe the Cavs don't feel immediately, but that's an effect that both those guys can feel in March and April. When the playoffs roll around and instead of right, Darius right. being completely exhausted mentally and physically like he was going into the play in tournament last year, maybe he can be a little bit fresher. Maybe he can be a little bit healthier and, and maybe he's not going to have to expend as much energy throughout the course of the regular season, getting the Cavs to a top four seed in the Eastern Conference or something along those lines. And that will allow both of those guys to perform a little bit better. Um, when it matters more because right now both Donovan and Darius are averaging about 36 minutes a night and that's a lot that's right up there with Kyrie and kD and and Jason Tatum and some of these other high minute guys throughout the course um th- throughout the league and throughout the course of the season if you think about it without Ricky like a lot of the responsibility offensively and defensively have, has fallen on the shoulders of of both Darius and Donovan. So, like, those are hard 36 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a lot of usage for both those guys. And I think if, if you can find a way to limit that um, in the second half of the season, I think the Cavs will feel that and benefit from that.
0: Yeah, I mean it. It's, it makes sense, and I think that you know something we're going to talk about—not maybe today, but in the future—and we kind of hinted it at it was, uh, you know, was the changes this team could make with the trade deadline. I think yeah. I don't think anybody is going to sit here and think that the Cavaliers aren't going to be active at the trade deadline. You know, maybe they don't make a huge move, maybe they they don't, you know, make something spectacular happen. But I, I think that they will be active and at least trying to upgrade this roster and trying to make changes. So, you know, what this roster is now, what Ricky Rubio is now, what these guys are Mm -hmm. now, that may change, you know, going into the next couple weeks.
1: Yeah, to that point, I've talked to a few different people around the NBA, and they believe that Paris Levert is the best asset that the Cavs have in terms of a trade um, because he can help teams right now, and he can also help their salary because he's an expiring contract. And beyond that, um, his salary number matches a lot of guys that are perceived to be available around the NBA. So it doesn't mean that the Cavs would have to stack players and it doesn't mean that the opposing team would then have to stack salaries and send an extra player to the Cavs and things like that. It, It could be a smoother trade because of his salary situation aligning well with some of the guys that are perceived to be available. The other thing that I continue to hear is that if the Cavs consider moving somebody like Isaac Okoro, who I think is the most expendable young player that they have, um, they would need a significant addition in return. Like the guy would have to be, I I don't want to throw out a comparison. I don't want to throw out a name, but the guy would have to be firmly entrenched in the top six of the Cavs' rotation for them to even consider moving somebody like Isaac because he's so young, because he works so hard, and because J.B. Biggerstaff likes the things that Isaac brings to the table, especially on the defensive end of the floor.
0: Right. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he is young. He's got a, you know, he's got a, 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 a lot of room to grow, a lot of room to work yeah. with, so it would make sense that he would be able to do that. Um, and I will give you a
1: name because okay. around this time, Hayden, um, around this time last year, I kept talking about Karis Levert. Karis Levert, uh-huh. yeah. Karis Levert, Karis yeah. Levert. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people talking about Terrence Ross with the Cavs and Bogdanovich of the Pistons with the Cavs. And what about Harrison Barnes? And how about Kelly Oubre Jr.? The name that I would watch is Tim Hardaway Jr. of the Dallas Mavericks.
0: Okay. What is it Elite
1: elite outside shooter that um, can play the two and the three, defends well enough. Um, And Dallas is a team that even though they're in the playoff mix right now and top six in the Western Conference, Hardaway Jr.'s um, salary structure is one that is problematic for Dallas moving forward. Um, And I think they would be willing to move off of his salary and get somebody who brings like a different element to Dallas. So I would watch Tim Hardaway Jr. Elite like outside it. shooter. And I like, like high volume outside shooter too.
0: I like names. I like, I like names. That makes that, that's good. We <laughs> like that. All right, Timmy Hardaway Jr. We will, we will keep an eye out. So that's a name yeah. to watch Cavaliers fans. Tim Hardaway Jr. A name to watch for the Cavaliers, potentially a trade deadline. Also, just real quick. I mean, what a Luka Dodgich. Holy smoke. Oh my man. God. What is he? The guy's insane.
1: It's unbelievable. And,
0: insane, and also yeah. LeBron, insane still. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 remarkable to watch. I mean, we know, talked it, about
1: I, this last time on the podcast. Like the top half of the NBA ballot. <laughs> yeah. Good luck trying to figure that out.
0: Yeah, I, I just I, I think Don I think Donovan's you know he's got yeah. a very very yeah. uphill battle. Yeah, I, I mean, he we're. has
1: been bumped by Kevin Durant yeah. and Giannis and Luka and Jokic. And Joel Embiid's been great for the rising yeah. 76ers that are eight and two in their last 10. And they have one of the best defenses in the NBA suddenly. And a big part of that is Embiid. So you got to put him on your list. And, and Zion Williamson is coming, coming hard. He's got the Pelicans as the number one seed. In the Western Conference, so like, what are you supposed to do?
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's fun to watch, though, man. I mean, it's it's great. Oh, there's, there's what a so great, many great place. players. Yes, so many great players. It, it really is remarkable to watch. I mean, what these guys are doing, what LeBron's doing at his age, what Luka Doncic is doing. I mean, it's it's incredible to watch. Even what you know, what yeah. Donovan Mitchell's doing. He's been unbelievable for the Cavs team. We've talked right. about that time and time again. I mean, he has been absolutely unbelievable. So, yeah. Um. We are definitely and, excited about that, and uh, we will continue to watch it.
1: And because of that, because of everything that we just said, the Cavs getting a second All Star is going to be difficult. Yes, yes, it, it is. It was difficult last year. It was very, yeah. very close last year. Um, it's going to be difficult once again.
0: Yes, it it certainly is. You know, and I think right now it's Donovan. Um,
1: Donovan's a, Donovan's yeah. a block. Donovan's a lock. He might even start. But if we're talking about Jaron Allen and we're talking about Darius, like the path to them getting getting to Salt Lake City alongside Donovan is, it's blocked by a lot of really, really talented, more high profile players. Right. right. Kyrie being uh, one of them.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough. But hey, as long as the Cavaliers are winning, those guys don't care. I, I think that that's, that's what true. You know, those guys. You know, all-star and all that stuff is nice, but they just want to win football, uh, win basketball games. So that's what they're Chris. going to try to do tonight. That's what they're going to try to do over the next couple of days when they're back home. And then that's what they're going to do on their road trip. So, um, Chris, before you go on that road trip, I wish you the best. Thanks, uh, man. Have safe travels and hope everything is nice and crisp and clean. And hope you're not affected too much by all this uh, airport and airplane nonsense.
1: Uh, I don't I don't mess with Southwest. That's the Hunger Games of Air, airlines. So... um. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be okay sticking to my, my big three that I shift between and, and avoid Southwest at all costs. Let's let's hope that works out for me.
0: <laughs> well, we pray it will. And yeah. uh, have fun covering the game tonight, and we will talk to you yeah, soon. Yeah, man.
1: Happy New Year, brother. We well, got any right, big ha- plans? Like, what are you doing? Like, uh, We
0: got, well, Ohio State plays tonight, so it's a work well, night. obviously, yeah. It's a work night. Um, I'm singing beforehand. Nice. So for a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, my hope and and this is this is, you know, I I, I went to Ohio State and I'm supposed to be unbiased, but I think we all I think we all as journalists and people root for um, what we want to like things we want to do. Right. Like, so if Ohio State wins, I'm going to L.A. So that that is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I I want to go to L.A. I mean, exactly. So (laughs) so there is a part of me tonight that will be rooting for the Buckeyes, for my alma mater, uh, to beat Georgia, which I don't think is going to happen, but um, a trip to LA would be really nice in the middle of January.
1: Oh, it sure would soak yeah. up the sun,
0: exactly. the beach, and the
1: palm trees.
0: Exactly, yes, sir. So, so yeah, it's uh, you know there's a little bit of a vested interest in it tonight. Yeah. I mean, I hope I hope for the rematch too. I think I think a uh, Ohio State Michigan rematch would be incredible.
1: Oh, with all the stakes.
0: Oh, oh my, my God! God. Yeah.
1: Is there a bigger game in the history of college football than that? I mean there probably, probably, probably is. But probably, I mean I don't know.
0: I mean, history's
1: a long time, but I, I mean you're
0: talking about you're talking about I mean arguably the greatest rivalry in, in right, sports. Right. Um maybe maybe there's like is there like a Duke, North Carolina college basketball national championship game? Has that ever happened? I don't remember. If it has, <laughs> that would be up there.
1: I think they played in the final four. I don't remember okay. a national championship game though.
0: OK, well, we got we got we got a, two games to go. We got to we got to get Michigan out of the way and then we got to see if Ohio State can pull out the upset. So we'll yeah. see. Also tomorrow, uh, big news in Ohio. Sports betting uh, legalized at midnight tonight. So we will be uh, doing uh, some Facebook lives for the Browns game from the MGM uh, uh, sports book out there in Northfield. So we're uh, we're embracing the betting. That's right. Yes, we are starting tomorrow. I'm excited uh, about that Yeah, in Ohio. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. I mean, I'm Isn't... somebody
1: who plays fantasy sports on all of these different apps, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um to be able to take it a different level and to to bet on games and to um do some of the stuff that you would do when going to Las Vegas, like that's
0: exciting yeah. to me. If you yeah, and if you go to the Cavaliers game, there's a sports book inside of the yes, Riverfront Field, so you could watch right. the Cavaliers, go play a bet, and then go watch the game in real time. Yeah. So, it's uh, it's all coming together. Uh, what about you? Any any New Year's Eve plans after the game? I mean, it's a six o'clock start, so you might have you might have a little time before midnight.
1: I will have no time. I will be writing immediately after the game. Unfortunately, yeah. I was going to go to this um this place called Bub City in the River North area of Chicago. It's a really good barbecue spot that has live country music. Um, okay. some Nashville artist who I've actually never heard of is performing there from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. It's like twenty dollar cover charge or something like that to get in, and I was going to buy a ticket yesterday, and then I remembered that I'm gonna have to write immediately after the game, and I have an early flight back home to Cleveland tomorrow, so it's just not going to happen. If anything, I watch flight? my flight's at 9:30 in the morning. Okay. Uh, Chicago time, but that means I have to leave for O'Hare
0: like, at 7:30, yeah. Seven.
1: probably yeah. something yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense.
1: It's that's a little bit tough. So maybe I'll watch it on TV. Like I'll find one of the specials on channel three, channel five, channel eight, and maybe yeah. I'll watch the ball drop that way. But going out in Chicago, like this yeah. isn't unfortunately this isn't a fun trip this is more of a business related trip and it's not like i can just say to the bosses hey i'm gonna skip my follow-up story on the caps so that i can go party with some country artist nope unfortunately it makes sense
0: all right well tomorrow hopefully you get to spend some time with your family and then uh before the road trip so that'll be that'll be a a better new year's eve celebration anyway (laughs) yeah exactly all right, Chris, thank you for joining us. Everybody appreciates you joining us. Happy New Year to you. We appreciate all of your support of us at the podcast and Chris as well. Um, check out his subtext, three ninety nine dollars a month. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavaliers or slash Cavs, excuse me. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, enter your phone number, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. You will get all sorts of insight, news, analysis sent straight to your phone from Chris, straight to your phone. Nowhere else, no Twitter, nothing uh, comes before that. So be sure to sign up today and continue to read all of Chris's great coverage at cleveland.com slash Cavs. In the meantime, I appreciate you guys joining us. Have a happy new year, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.